talk to us this morning about the war that we are in. Church, do we recognize that we are not living in peacetime in this world? Do we recognize that the bombs have been dropped and that we are in a war right now? Do we see it? Do we recognize that? December 7th, 1941, the United States had avoided the worst war in human history. World War II had been raging for about four or five years, but on December 7, 1941, the Japanese dropped bombs on Pearl Harbor in the United States, and we were all of a sudden thrust into a war that we not only didn't really want to be in, but we were ill-prepared for. At this time in the world, the United States had the 39th ranked military in the world. Did you know that? I didn't know that we had ever been that week, but we were ranked number 39. In 1939, two years before Pearl Harbor, we still had horses pulling our cannons. We were number 39 in the world, and yet we were about to enter World War II. Because we were so ill-equipped, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt instituted something called the War Production Board in January of 1942. He created this institution, and its sole purpose was to recruit not more soldiers. The idea wasn't that we needed more soldiers. We did need more soldiers, and we drafted more soldiers. But the idea is that if we were going to win this war, it wasn't enough to have more soldiers. We needed more equipment. We needed more money. We needed more help. And he enlisted not more military, but he enlisted regular people like me and you. In fact, if you go back and talk to your grandparents or your great-grandparents, some of them may remember this. During this time, the national speed limit dropped to 35 miles an hour so that we could save oil so that it could be used for the war. During this time, when you bought toothpaste, it used to come in metal tins. Do you all remember that? That's what Pastor Brian's toothpaste looks like. <laughs> toothpaste used to come in little metal tins, but after 1941, they began to put it in plastic because they needed the metal to make bullets with. During this time, men, women, and children were not only drafted into the military, the children were not obviously, but not only men and women were drafted into the military, but men and women and children everywhere were called upon to change their lifestyle to win this war. It wasn't just for the military, it was for everybody. Everybody had to get involved in this effort because we were not equipped to win the war that we had been thrust into. So everybody had to change their daily lives and their daily habits so that this war could be won. You'll notice the pictures on the screens. Here you see women working in factories, which at this point in America was not the norm. This was brand new. Women were entering the workforce in factories that had once been used to build cars and to build... Um, to build fabric and to build silk and to build just everyday household items were suddenly turned into factories to make weapons for the war. Because the president knew we cannot win this war unless we get everybody into the battle. Everybody had to be involved. Everybody had to be part of this war effort. Life changed for everybody in 1941. But as a result of this effort, because of the work of the WPB and all the women and all the children and all the men who changed their lives to make sure that America was able to enter into this war equipped for battle, because of this, the United States produced more warplanes in the year 1944 than the Japanese had been able to build in the entire six years of the war up to that point. By the end of 1945, one half of the world's entire production was taking place in the United States. 
We won the war. And we won the war not on the backs of the military, but we won the war on the backs of regular people. Regular men, regular women, and regular children. Everybody's lives had to change, but we won the war. If we had not won this war, some of you can imagine what life may be like today. We may be speaking German and not English today. I can almost promise you had we lost this war, we would not be gathered in this building today like we are now. Because the stakes in World War II were high. We could not afford to lose the battle. It wasn't an option. We couldn't lose. And we didn't. And it's because men, women, and children everywhere got involved. I want to talk to you about ministry today. And I want to talk to you about what it means to serve in the army that God has instituted here on this earth. When Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you think I am? What did Peter say? said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, you have received this from the Holy Spirit. This didn't come from man. And he said, I'm going to build my church on that statement right there. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to be the backbone of the church. And he said, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church? It's because he knew that we'd be at war. He knew that the church would be at war against the enemy all throughout history, and we are today. This war did not begin when COVID hit. This war did not begin after the election. This war began in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden when the serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say what you think he said? That's when the war began. This is not a war against another nation. This is not a war against a political party. This war that we're in is a war of ideology. This war that we're in is a war of ideas. It is a war of worldviews. It is a war that asks every man, every woman, and every child, who is your God? Who are you going to follow? At this church, we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we're going to choose this day to serve him. No matter who you choose to serve, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord, me and my family. That's what we're going to do. Listen to what President Roosevelt said in 1942 as he instituted the War Production Board. He said that powerful enemies must be outfought and outproduced. He told Congress and his countrymen this less than a month after Pearl Harbor. He said, it's not enough to turn out just a few more planes, a few more tanks, a few more guns, a few more ships that can be turned out by our enemies. It's not enough. Next slide. He said, we must outproduce them overwhelmingly so that there can be no question of our ability to provide a crushing superiority of equipment in any theater of the world war. This is what he told his country before we entered this battle. And church, I believe that confidence and that determination is what the church needs in America today if we're going to win the war against this culture against the ideas that are being pushed, against the brainwashing that's occurring. We're at war. Do you see it? i got to have you see it today because if we don't see it, we're going to sit back and we're going to think to ourselves, it's not really important that I get involved. The church doesn't really need me. I don't really have any special gifts or talents. Church, we're going to look at the scripture today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are going to see that the church is equipped to win this war. The church is equipped to step up into battle, and you and I are uniquely equipped to contribute and to play our part in the victory. And church, I want to give you some good news today. And I know that good news doesn't get clicks and make money, but the good news today is that not only are we equipped, but the battle has already been won, the Bible says. 
We can enter into this war knowing that the outcome has already been decided. Church, we win. We win. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to see it today. I want us to get involved today, and I want us to see it not just from history, not just from a preacher, but from the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, About the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Paul is writing to a church just like this one, and he's talking to regular people like me and you, and he says, hey, the war that we're in is going to require some special equipment. It's going to require that we be equipped with what we need. And what we need is to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. And it's important that you and I understand what that gifting looks like specifically. Now look what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. This is interesting. This almost looks like it doesn't fit in this chapter, but stay with me. He says in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, meaning before you were Christians, before we became believers in Jesus Christ, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Church, what type of idols were we led astray to? Mute. What does mute mean? It means they don't speak. What Paul is saying is that you and I, before we heard the good news about Jesus, and before we made the decision to follow Jesus, you and I were just kind of out there in the world following these ideas, following these gods, if you will, following the culture, but we had no voice. And we had no voice because the things that are being spoken out there, listen, this is important. The stuff that you're being fed out there in the world every single day of your life when you scroll social media and when you turn on the news, most of the stuff you're being fed are lies to manipulate you. Most of what we're being told is not true. You say, well, are you a conspiracy theorist? No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just know the truth that the world is controlled by what the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. The very air that we breathe has been influenced by the devil because he has been given a certain amount of dominion here on this earth for a short amount of time. But church, we don't have to follow those mute idols with no voice. Have you ever felt like in your life that you've got nothing to say that anybody finds important? Have you ever felt like you don't have a voice, that your voice doesn't matter, that what you say doesn't matter, that nobody takes you seriously, it feels like you're talking and talking, but you're just talking into the void and nobody's listening? Church, when I get on social media and I try to push back against this using my own voice, I feel like I'm just being silenced, like no matter what I say, it doesn't matter. Listen to what this says. He says, I want you to know that nobody who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that whenever Jesus entered into our life and we said yes to him and we began to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit began to speak through us. And now, while we formerly had no voice and we had nothing to say, now that we have Jesus Christ in our lives, we have a voice. I have a voice today. Turn and look at your neighbor and say, I have a voice. And your spouse looks back and says, I know you nag me with it every single day. Yeah, I get it. It don't mean we always use our voice for the right things, but church, today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a voice. Your voice matters. And let me submit to you this morning that not only does your voice matter, but this culture needs your voice to be speaking today. If Jesus Christ has done something in you, if Jesus Christ is speaking to you through his word and by his spirit, if God has done things in your life that you can talk about, church, it's time that we get on the front lines of the war and start talking about it. 
Because right now in America, the church's voice is being overwhelmed by the wave of garbage washing over this culture. And I believe part of the reason is that we are too scared to speak it. Because we think our voice doesn't matter. But if you've been transformed by Jesus Christ, your voice matters. What you have to say matters. At the end of this war, at the end of this age, when Jesus Christ is reigning eternally and he sits on his throne and the church is with him and the battle has been won, Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You know what that means? We win this war through Jesus, number one, and through our mouth, number two, because we won't stop talking. This world wants to silence you. This culture wants to silence you. If you don't fall in line, this world wants to cancel your voice. They want to censor you. They want to shut you up. Church, the apostles in the book of Acts said that they could not help but speak and preach about what Jesus Christ had done. They could not stop. And when they were persecuted in this war... And when they had to pay dearly with their lives in this war, they could not stop talking. Church, my fear for America is not that the church doesn't have power. My fear in America today is that the church can't start talking. Because we think what we say doesn't matter. Church, we have a voice. We have to use it. We have to speak up. Well, people aren't going to like it. People didn't like Jesus either. Well, people are going to try to silence me. People tried to silence Jesus too. And if you find yourself in that company, church, we are in good company. Church, it's time that we use that voice that we've been given. When we say Jesus is Lord, those aren't just words. That's coming from the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about how we're equipped for this battle. Verse 4. He goes into some specifics here. He's talking about this gifting. And he says when it comes to this gifting, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit that distributes them. And there's different kinds of services, but the same Lord. Verse 6. Verse 6, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. We may just hang on verse 5 for a while. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want to camp on that for a second. He's talking about gifts. And he tells us that no matter what our gifts are, no matter how God has uniquely equipped me or equipped you, that our gifts are all different. But they all come from the same place and from the same person. They all come from God. Do we see it? And notice what it says in verse 7. It says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Who gets the gifts? Who gets the equipping? Does it say to certain people this was given? It says to each one. To each one what? To each human? To each Christian. To everybody who's believed in Jesus Christ, to everybody who has said Jesus is Lord, it says they are given these gifts. Church, look at your neighbor and say, I have a gift. Y'all going to have to wake up today. Christmas is coming. We're going to have to pull out them credit cards and we're going to be buying a bunch of gifts. And on December 24th, we're all going to be grateful that we have gifts. At least our kids will be. The rest of us will be figuring out how to pay them off. I have a gift. How many of you know Jesus is your Savior? I know him. You have a gift. You are gifted. You are uniquely gifted, and you are uniquely equipped by God to fight in this battle. But I want you to know something about these gifts. Go back to verse 7. Go back to verse 7. It says that these gifts 
are not simply talents. When we think of gifting, when we think of somebody who is gifted, what do we think about? What are some gifts that we think some people have? Music, singing, always the first one. And I think it's always the first one because we see it. It's so visible. It's right there in front of us. Pastor Ryan, he can do this special thing. I don't know how he does it. He can play the guitar, and his dad can do the same thing, and his sister can do the same thing, and his brother can do the same thing, and I can't do it. They have this special gift. They can play the guitar, which I can sort of do, and they can sing, which I can almost sort of do, but they can do it at the same time. And I guess this is what it looks like when you do it. This is what it looks like. You look better when you do it. They can play guitar, and they can sing simultaneously. If I try to do one at a time, I can sort of do it, but if I try to put them together, it all falls apart. I do not have that gift, but their whole family is musical. If you give them an instrument, they will learn to play it, and they'll be able to sing while they do it. Even the saxophone. They can figure out a way to sing while they do it. I don't know how that's even possible, but they'll figure it out. That is a unique gifting that they have, but I want us to see something this morning. When we think about gifting... What we usually think about is special talent, like music, like public speaking, like athleticism. Maybe we think about appearance and we look at somebody who's attractive and we say, oh man, I wish I looked like that. I wish I sounded like that. I wish I could do what they do. I wish I could live like they live. I wish I had what they have. But I don't believe the Bible when it talks about how we are equipped for the war. I don't think it's talking about these attributes that are physical and that are earthly. In fact, in verse 7, it says, to each one is given. It doesn't say a gift. It says the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, when we get saved, we are gifted by God. But these gifts are not simply attributes that we possess. These gifts are manifestations of God that he does through us. You see the difference? Let me explain to you the difference. Somebody could have talent, but that doesn't mean they have influence. Somebody could have ability... Somebody could have the right look. Somebody could have possessions. And those are things we would all love to have. But that doesn't mean that they're being used by God. Because we know how easy it is to take those things and to use them in the wrong ways. But when we are gifted by the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, here's what it looks like. No matter what talents you walk into the building with, no matter what gifts you think you have, when we begin to open our mouths and use that voice to speak... For God and to speak his word, the Holy Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit manifests himself, and that's the gifting we're talking about. Here's what I want you to think about today. The goal is not to figure out what my special gift and talent is and how I can use that one special gift and talent in the church. What I want you to think about is, am I willing and available to get into this battle and to sign up to serve and believing that when I do, that God's going to show up and use me? Because that's the gifting that he's given you. Do you see the difference between a gift and a manifestation of the Spirit? It's not about how talented you are. It's about how open you are to being used by God. So I'm asking you this morning, how open are you to that? Are you open to being used by God? I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm open, but I don't really know what I can do. That's not the question. When FDR implemented the War Production Board, his question wasn't, hey, tell me what your special gifts and talents are and we'll put you somewhere. He said, hey, here's where the needs are and we need your hands, we need your feet working. He said, here's the needs, are you willing? That's what we want to know today. Are you willing to be used by God? I have a gift 
And that gift is not about me. That gift is about God. My gift is about God. Turn and look at your neighbor. I'm going to try to keep you awake today and tell your neighbor that your gift is about God. I love making, y'all, y'all feel so awkward when y'all do that. I love making you do that. I can see you cringing when I, when I stand up here and watch you. Your gift is about God. Here's something else we need to understand. Those gifts that we've received, they're not for me and they're not for you. They're about God. They're from God. They're manifestations of God. God shows up when we are willing to be used by him, but they are for other people. See, when Pastor Ryan gets up here and he plays his guitar and he sings, if you stand there and you clap and you say, praise Pastor Ryan, praise his holy name, bless Pastor Ryan, oh my soul, oh, oh, oh my soul, worship his holy name, you have missed the point. Now, it would be easy, it would be easy to make that mistake. You see, I see worship services all the time. You can watch any concert. Get on YouTube, look up any concert, and you can see people out in the crowd raising their hands and worshiping. They're worshiping, but they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the experience they're having because they are living and basking in the experience of another person or a group of people's talents and abilities. And that's okay, and that can be enjoyable for a season, but church, that's not what wins the war. What wins this war is not more gifted and talented people on the stage so that we can entertain or so that we can help you enjoy yourself or make you more comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but the point is not that we worship the gift, it's that we worship the giver. The point is that it is good for all of us. You see, the reason that we give our time, the reason that so many people in this church give their time, give their energy, give their money, it's not because the culture pays them back for doing it. They don't collect a big paycheck at the end of the week. They do it for you. They do it for God, and they do it through God, and they do it for you because they want you to know the same God that we know. They want you to have that same experience with Jesus Christ that we've had. My gift is from God. My gift is not about me, and my gift is for other people. Now, he's going to go in here for a second, and he's going to talk about the gifts. He's going to talk about some of the specific gifts that we see in the Scripture, okay? This isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't every single one, but he's going to give us several of them in verses 8 and 9. He says, To one there is given the spirit of a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretations of tongues. That's a big list, and some of us in the room have never seen some of those gifts before, and that's okay. The point today is not that we identify which gift that we have because that's missing the point. The point is recognizing, number one, that no matter what our gifting is, that it comes from God. Amen? It comes from God, all from the same Spirit. It's also important to see in verse 11 that all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Who determines? He determines. God determines. You see, my gift is God's choice, not my choice. My gift is God's choice. And here's where it gets important. Here's where I'm going to challenge you. Can Can I push you for a second? Can I push you for just a second? I'm going to reward you with pizza on the other side if you'll let me push you for just a second. All right? There's two reasons that I can think of that you would make the decision today not to plug in and not to serve. 
when this service is over, we're going to have pizza ready for you. It's not going to cost you anything, but what we're going to ask you is to make yourself available to God. And we're going to ask you if you would be willing to sign up and to commit. I know I sound like a car salesman. I want you to sign on that dotted line today. But we're going to ask you to commit to ministry today, to working within the church, to not simply show up, and we're so glad that you show up. Please don't stop showing up. Please don't wake up next Sunday morning and go, well, Pastor Blake said it's not really about showing up, so I'm not going to show up. When, we're not, when you're not here, we miss you dearly. We want you here, and God wants you here. But this isn't the only reason we show up. We show up because there's people who need to know about Jesus. And you have a voice, and you can use it. And we're going to ask you today to commit to ministry. Now, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to think to yourself, I'm not gifted, I'm not talented, I'm not spectacular, I'm not unusually smart, I'm not unusually musical, I'm not unusually charismatic, I'm not especially good looking, I don't really have a ton to offer, I don't know how anybody's going to benefit from me helping. If that's you, I'm going to start the sermon over and we're going to do it all again. That got a laugh out of you, like, please God, don't do that. Some of you are going to say, it's not for me because I'm not gifted. You are gifted, and 1 Corinthians 12 tells you that you are. You are equipped. You are ready for this battle. You may not feel it, but you are. But I think there's another thing that would keep some people from serving. You're going to walk back there into that room, and there's going to be some tables set up. And everybody's going to go to the pizza, because everybody loves pizza, praise God. But then you're going to look around the room, and there's going to be some tables. There's going to be a table that says hospitality. We need help in the hospitality ministry. What that means is we need people to hold the door open. How many of you had the door held open for you when you came in this morning? I did that on purpose so I could bring it back up later. We need somebody to do that. We need more people to be willing to do that. There's going to be a table that talks about prayer ministry. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that prayer is important. We're asking people to sign up and to commit to praying every day for the things that are going on in our community and for the people that need prayer. You're going to see a table. Here's the big one. And some of y'all are going to hear this when you're going to go, oh, but that's not for me. We need help in children's ministry. We need help in the nursery. We need help in life kids. Now, some of us are going to go, well, yeah, but that's not really my calling. That's not really where I'm equipped. And I understand that. I understand that when it comes to kids, especially other people's kids, it's easy to go, ah, I spend all week with them. They're wild. They're stinky. They're crazy. And all these things are true. But church, we are not on a cruise ship. I'm going to quote Pastor Ryan here. The church is not a buffet where we get to pick and choose the things that we like and leave the things that we don't. We are at war. We're on a battleship. Charlie, would you come up here for just a second? This is my oldest daughter. This is Charlie. Can you all make Charlie feel welcome this morning? Isn't she pretty? She looks just like her mama. <laughs> church, if we win this war, it's going to be won in this generation. This generation can still be influenced. Have you noticed that when we try to change people's minds, their minds aren't being changed? Have you caught that? 
Have you caught that when we get on social media and we begin to talk, that most people that we talk to out there are not open to having their mind changed? Guys, Samuel and Victoria Shavaria are the exception, not the rule. For a young couple to walk into a church and to hear the message and to say, yes, that's what I want, and to say no to the world and to say yes to Jesus Christ and to see their lives radically transformed, when that happens, we get so excited about it because it is so unusual because most people that live in the world system are so delusional and brainwashed, they are not open to hearing the word. We agree with that. Now, does that mean that we can't go win this town? That's not what it means. I believe that the Word of God is powerful and effective, and I believe that when we preach it, any man, woman, boy, or girl can hear it and receive the Word. But what I do know to be true, because I have four of these little things running around my house every day of the week, what I know to be true is that they are open to the truth of Jesus Christ in a way that most adults are not. And the battle for Massac County and the battle for Metropolis, Illinois, will not be one changing the minds of 45-year-old men and women. It will be changed when we reach this generation. And when this generation grows up knowing the truth, and they've been equipped with the truth to take it into the world and to push back against the culture and to push back against the garbage that's being thrown at us, when we can influence this generation, we can win this war. It's no secret why Hitler targeted children. You get on Google Images and you look up Hitler with kids and you will find picture after picture of that man, evil incarnate, holding little children because he was looking to brainwash them because he understood the war of ideas is not fought on the battlefields of the middle-aged. It's fought in the minds of children. In church, my heart burns and hurts because our culture is targeting these children. And if we don't make a special effort to get to them and to love on them and to teach them the truth of the word of God, we're going to lose this generation. And we have been equipped and we have been given the responsibility to reach them and to serve them. And some of you are going to say, but man, children's ministry, I won't get to hear the message. That's why we have two services. One weekend, one service every six weeks is all we're asking now, if you can't, no guilt, all right? You're probably thinking, no, I feel pretty guilty. You've made me feel guilty. That's not the point. If you can't, if you're unable, that's okay. But the person I'm talking to is not the person who is physically or emotionally unable. That's okay, sis. You go sit down. Y'all thank Charlie for being up here. The person I'm talking to today is not the person who can't. It's the person who won't. It's the person who says, that's eh, too much. Can't do it. The manifestations of the Spirit that we receive, the gifts and the equipping that God has given us, church, we don't always get to choose what that looks like. Now today, you do get to choose what you'll do or not do. But church, sometimes we do a ministry, not because we feel equipped, but we do a ministry because there's a need. When our country needed bullets, housewives entered the workforce for the first time in their lives and they made bullets and we won that war. There's some people in this room today, you don't think you're ready to do ministry, but you are. And when you say yes to God and you step up and you get to the front lines, what you'll find is that when you step up, God will show up. And when God shows up, we'll win this war. My gift is God's choice. It's not my choice. This morning, I want to talk to us about one more thing and then we'll be done. Can we do that? I want to talk to you about one more thing. Our gifts fit together in a very special way. Verse 12, just as one body has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. You see what it's saying? Everybody gets different gifts. All of us are equipped differently, but when you put us all together, we form one really well, highly functioning body. Now, verse 15 gives us an illustration, and I want to tell you, if this is you, see a podiatrist, ASAP. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, you've got a problem. Your foot's talking. It's a big deal. But I don't think this is literal. I think this is figurative. A foot couldn't say to the hand, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Your foot says, well, I'd rather be a hand, so I'm done being a foot. Now you've got a talking lazy foot. It's a problem. And of course, this sounds ridiculous, right? Or if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Your ear says, well, I can't see anything. I'm not an eye, so I'm done being an ear. Well, now you've got a stubborn, non-hearing ear. It's a problem. What does this have to do with the church? Imagine... Chris Albritton, my buddy sitting up here on the front row, turns and looks at his wife, Desi, and said, I'm not a preacher, not a singer, not a worship leader. I'm not gifted like that, so I might as well not do anything. What he's become is a foot that doesn't work because he's not a hand or an ear that stopped working because he's not an eye. When you put it in the context of the body, it sounds ridiculous. Thank God our body doesn't operate like that. Church, Jesus is looking down at us and saying, thank God my church doesn't operate like that. We've all been uniquely gifted. We've all got individual abilities that God's given us. We all have to get involved and use them together. Verse 18, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there's many parts but one body. Verse 22, and he talks here for a moment about the weaker parts of the body. Anybody in here ever struggle to feel like you know what you're supposed to do? Man, what's God's will for my life? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. All right. I've seen your hands now, so you're in trouble. Because now I know which people just to direct to which table I want you. No, I'm just joking. It's easy to think to yourself, I'm not visible. I don't have the visible giftings. Look at what verse 22 says. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You think that because you can't preach, you don't have a voice. You think because you aren't visible, because maybe you aren't doing things that everybody sees, that you aren't valuable. But the Bible says that those parts of the body, those people in the church who are doing this work that nobody sees, those are the people we cannot afford to lose. Those are the people we need. The Michael Calgills of the world, half y'all don't know who Michael Calgill is, and that's okay. But you would know if he wasn't here, because if he wasn't here, we wouldn't have the screens. We wouldn't be able to stream on, on YouTube and on Facebook and on the internet. If it weren't for Michael, we wouldn't have these lights. If it weren't for Michael, all of these things that we depend on to bring this word to you, they would not work. And Michael and B.J. Lampley and their team of people are keeping this machine moving. And right now, you don't see any of them. They're invisible to you. But they're indispensable. We cannot survive without them. People that hold the door and welcome people and tell them that both restrooms in this hallway are men's restrooms, so the women need to go over here so they're not confused. 
When somebody visits for the first time and they walk down that hall and the woman's looking for a restroom and she sees two men's restrooms, they get confused. Having you at the front door to say, hey, the women's restroom's right there. Oh, indispensable, invaluable. Having people available to pray before the service, having people praying for our church throughout the week is invaluable. You have value. If you can do these things, you are valuable. Can you hold a baby once every six weeks? That is invaluable. When we have somebody doing that, we can be in here without babies crying. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Preach the word, man of God. I think I will. When we've got people helping in life, kids, our next generation of children know the truth. And if you know our life, kids, by the way, they know the truth. If you don't believe me, just ask them. Just watch them worship on the front row. They know the truth, and it's because people like you are investing in them, and you're serving them. We have value, and our value is not in our visibility. It says the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need special treatment, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Church, you are valuable and your gifting is valuable, and you are needed. You are needed in this ministry. We have a goal of reaching, teaching, coaching, and leading people in Metropolis, Illinois. Because people have given, because people have worked, because people have stepped up, couples like Samuel and Victoria, they get to move to another part of the country without being lost. I I, I don't think you can put a price on that. What did it cost us? Some time? A little bit of money? Was it worth it? Infinitely worth it. Children, knowing the word of God, what's it worth? What's it worth? Church, winning this war. Anybody in the room want to say that we're unhappy with the direction of our country? I don't like what I see. And this isn't political, this is just cultural, this is reality. What they believe out there is a lie. They're believing the lie. We have the truth. We have a voice. We have influence and we have value. The question is, are we available? If we're unavailable, all those other points don't matter. All we're asking today is that we make ourselves available to God. Who's with me? Are we going to join this fight? I'll spend every minute I got. if That's what it takes to win this war. And we want y'all to come with us.